Awesome. Y'all doing good this morning? Yes? Great. Awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I think y'all have been in Acts. We'll be in Acts 15. And as y'all are flipping there, I figured I would give you guys some information on church going on in, in Athens. So uh, I've, we've, my wife and I have both been a part of uh, Connection Churches since, uh, since the Lord saved us and got us plugged into one. We started in Statesboro. We went to Vidalia. Uh, we spent some time in Dublin, and so now we're getting ready to go plant one in Athens. And so uh, we'll be moving at the end of May. We've got some people from Vidalia, um, some people from here praying about going with us, which is incredible. Y'all don't have any idea when you go and share uh, with people how awesome it is that you can say there's people, there are churches that are willing to send people and be part of that. And so we're so uh, thankful for that. And then uh, we'll get up there and get ready to um, get that going. It'll be a, similar to here where we're starting with um, a small group of people in a home and letting it start growing um, to see people reach for the Lord, which is what the church is for. Amen. So um, that's our plan. And so if you have any questions about that, um, we'll be hanging out at the next steps area after, but um, feel free to get my number from Michael. I'll give it to you. We'd love if you, um, if you know people there that don't know the Lord, we'd love if you know people there, that'll be um, would we'll think about being a part of it with us. We'd love to get their numbers. If you want to partner with us in any other way, uh, we'd love to fill you in on that um, information and give you anything you want to know. And also, if you want to find a job in Athens and go with us, we'd love that too. So um, that's all I got about Athens. So let's get into what's important in the Bible and we'll have time to get into that after. So uh, this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 15. And what I want to do is... Uh, really preach about the first 10 verses. And so just to give you an idea of what's going on. So uh, y'all have been in the book of Acts. I'm not crazy, right? Not of heads. Yes. Okay. So y'all have seen the spirit come down at Pentecost. It empowers the church. Uh, you see Peter preach a sermon. 3000 people get saved a little bit longer. You see Stephen, the first Christian martyr gets killed. A guy named Paul. Watch that happen. Paul gets saved. Then Paul starts his first missionary journey, which was the past couple weeks. And then all of a sudden it kind of erupts into this big deal happening in Acts chapter 15. And this is a really big deal because there's what we call some gospel issues going on. Okay, y'all hear a lot about the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus. What is that? And so here's what I would tell you and why this is so important before we jump in, because if we get the gospel wrong, then we can't see people get saved, right? Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so if we miss the gospel, we miss everything, right? It's like going to the doctor, getting a misdiagnosis and getting medicine that can't cure you. Amen. And so what we're feeding people, we need to make sure is accurate. And that's what happens here with Paul and Peter is they realize that the gospel is at stake. If we don't get this right, then we could lose everything of what the church was created for and created to do. And so um, that's where we'll be. So let's read the first 10 verses and then we'll pray and we'll jump into it. Sound good? I hope so. Here we go. Chapter 15, verse one, it says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, let me pause there for just a second. I won't do this too much because I don't want your eyes going, me to Bible. But anytime you hear somebody say, you can be saved, but you need to do blank, that's red flag, right? And so what they're teaching is, is you need faith in Christ plus. And so red flags are going up. Paul and Peter, right, these Christian heroes, they're like, I don't know about this. And so this is kind of the discussion that's going on. We'll pick up in verse two and we'll read the rest. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, where this is all about to go down, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Check this out. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses, essentially to be saved. And this is verse six. It says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you're morons, okay? (laughs) Doesn't say that, okay? Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Believe, faith, key words there. Verse eight, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, which happened a few chapters ago in the book of Acts, just as he did to us, the Jews. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Last verse, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So essentially, Paul and Peter get this place and say, hey, it's not faith and circumcision, level ground at the cross. All it takes is faith to be saved. And so um, gospel's at stake here. And so a lot of scholars or people will kind of think about this passage as being uh, like the watershed passage. If you know what a watershed means, it means that a lot of things flow into this one pool, okay? That's kind of what's happened in the book of Acts. Gentiles are getting saved, Gentiles are getting saved, and there's kind of this talk going on between the religious people and these people that other people don't think should be saved. And they're like, how is this happening? And so it kind of culminates into this big idea, okay? Uh, best thing I, way I can think about it would be like people um, that, you know, the jokes about gray hair, how uh, the reason they have gray hair is because things have led up to that point. You know what I mean? Uh, if you don't look no further than your pastor, right? Um, I, I, that was a joke. Y'all cool with jokes right here? I hope so, okay? Just joking, okay? Uh, y'all are probably like, you have red hair. What are you talking about, okay? <laughs> but, um, but anyways, it's kind of culminated into this And now this becomes kind of a turning point in the book of Acts, right? Because they say, if we get the gospel wrong, we lose everything. But if we get it right, then we can make the biggest difference um, in the universe and in the world that it could ever see, amen? And so that's why this is such a big deal and why we um, need to understand what's going on here so that we can apply it well to our lives. So let's pray together and we'll jump into it. Father, uh, we're thankful for your grace Lord, not one of us deserved salvation, God. Not one of us could have earned it. Not one of us could have done enough, Lord. And so, God, drive us to our knees as the gospel does, Lord, so that we can worship you. God, take us out of it. God, let us do everything we can to worship you, to see you glorified, Lord, and let your word uh, cut to our hearts like the Bible says it can do. God, help it not return void as the word says and let it change us and sharpen us, Lord, and help it... Uh, grow us into maturity, Lord, so that we can be the church, the people of God that you've called us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, amen, amen. Okay, so um, one of the things I wanted to get you guys thinking about, I think it's so easy to do, but um, 
Y'all have heard Paul maybe say this, or you think about this in a lot of different ways in your life, but if you miss it just a little bit, you can change everything, right? Like if you get something just a little bit wrong, it changes the whole scope of what's going on. You may have heard Paul say something like, if a, if a little bit of yeast gets in the loaf, it ruins the whole thing. Now that's where he's talking about sexuality, but it's the same way with the gospel, that if we get just a little bit wrong, it can ruin the whole thing, okay? Because then we're feeding something that can't satisfy, we're feeding something that can't save, and we're giving the world not what they're looking for, but we're actually kind of gravitating to it and feeding something that would seem good to somebody that God's not working on. So what, what happens here is a lot of what happens in my life. And so uh, as Michael mentioned, I have a son, that's, uh, his name is Dax, he's almost two, and about a week or two ago, uh, he came down with the flu. Now, I don't know if y'all know anything about babies, but when they get sick, the best part about it is giving them medicine. You know what I mean? They love it. So uh, we, we have these medicines we need to give to him. He's not sleeping good. And uh, so it kind of keeps going on. Well, one night we're getting ready to uh, give him medicine. And when I get over there to give him medicine, uh, usually what happens is I, we use one syringe for more than one medicine. So we'll get like five milliliters in the syringe and then go to the other bottle, get five milliliters, and then we'll stick it in his mouth and we'll give it to him all at once so that we're not having to do it twice, okay? Sounds like we're geniuses, but it just makes it easier, okay? But what happens is normally, so we go give it to him, and I don't know if y'all's kids are like this or not, but uh, giving a baby medicine is like holding a beach ball underwater. It's like it's in their mouth, and you think they swallow it, and as soon as you walk away, they're like playing a joke on you, and poof, like it projectiles out, you know what I mean? Um, so we do this. Well, anyways, the, the last day he was sick, I go to get medicine, and uh, the medicine, one of them has to be refrigerated, and I guess somebody's a pharmacist in here maybe, but you have to refrigerate the medicine because I'm assuming if it's in room temperature, it'll grow bacteria and it'll get somebody sick or whatever. So uh, we take the one out that uh, is, is in the fridge and we get five milliliters of it. And I go over to the one, the, the cough medicine that's room temperature and I get too much. Okay, so I went to syringe it out and I get too much. Well, what happens is, as I'm like, oh, I just got too much. I'll just squirt a little bit back in the bottle. Okay, dumb mistake, Why? Because now the medicine that doesn't need to be in that bottle has come through the syringe. And now listen, I only had like a millimeter too much, but you could see the white medicine and the clear medicine at the bottom. And so now you have a full bottle, brand new. I don't know if y'all have been to CVS lately and had to buy cough medicine, but it's like liquid gold, okay? It's expensive as all get out. So um, I, we're trying to pull it out, get the rest of it out. And what we realize is that whole bottle is now ruined because of just a little bit of something that shouldn't be in there. Okay, that's what Paul means when he says a little bit of yeast can ruin the whole loaf, okay? That's why this is so important to Paul and Peter because listen, the, the bottle there is like the gospel and if we miss the gospel, we miss everything, okay? And so that's exactly why we have to get to the place where we understand that if we get this wrong, we miss everything. I wrote this, let, let, let me put this in words for us. One is not saved by quitting something or starting something, right? We're not adding to the gospel or taking away from it. You don't quit cussing to be saved. You don't stop drinking natties on the weekend to be saved. You don't start wearing nicer clothes to church to be saved. You don't learn Christian lingo in order to be saved. You don't buy a Tahoe and an HGTV-worthy house for salvation. Salvation comes solely through trusting Jesus alone for salvation. And after that happens, then things can start overflowing, like I mentioned before. But we must be clear that our salvation comes through Christ and is for Christ and in any other gospel is not the gospel of the Bible. 
and will leave us empty, amen? And so what I wanna do is answer three questions, okay? They're somewhat simple. We'll spend a little more time on the first ones, but I'll give you the three questions and we'll go through them. The first one is this, is in, in Acts 15, the question is, what's the issue, okay? So we're gonna unpack the gospel, the biblical gospel for a minute, um, and I've got some diagrams that'll hopefully help you understand what's going on here and why this is such a big issue. The second one is, okay, now that we understand it, the second question is, what does it mean for us? And by us, I don't mean just Connect Church, but Christians as a whole. What does that mean for us? How, does, how do we take knowledge of the gospel and apply it to our lives personally? And then the third question is, what does it mean for us as a church, okay? What does it mean for us to take that gospel and run with it to the world and let it do all it's supposed to do, listen, inside the walls of the church for believers like you and I, but also outside of the world? How do we take that gospel as a church Monday through Saturday when we're not in here and let that gospel do damage and save people around us in our normal lives, amen? And so that's where we're heading. So here we go. Let me reread verse one and then I wanna reread verses eight and nine quickly and we'll unpack kind of what's going on here. So verse one, it says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Okay, so these people are coming and they're teaching something false, okay? This would be a false gospel, but this is what they're saying. They're saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved, Okay, modern day, this is what it's saying. Hey, if you don't look like X and you come into church, God won't save you. We know that's not true, okay? Or, um, hey, if you change this about your life, if you quit doing X, then come to Christ, God will save you. We know that's not the gospel, but listen, friends, it's so easy to let that seep inside of us and let that become normal, and we start placing expectations on people that haven't come to Christ, and we can't be witnesses to them because we're trying to change their external before God does a work on the internal, amen? And so we have to let that become an overflow to what's going on. In verse eight, let's read that quickly. It says, God who knows the heart, so heart issue, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He's talking about previously in the book of Acts, in Acts 10, when uh, the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit for the first time. And then in verse 10, it says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. So listen, he appeals to the Old Testament. Now, um, in, in the Old Testament, you may think that a lot of times they were saved by the law. The, the, the purpose of the law wasn't to save them, but it was laws on how to worship, how to look like the people of Christ, okay? So what would happen is, is if you think about this, um, Paul argues in Romans 4, he says, hey, People have been saved by faith the whole time. Listen, in the Old Testament, people were saved by faith of the promise of salvation to come. And now in the New Testament, we're saved by faith in the promise of salvation that's already came. So they were looking to the cross. We're looking back at the cross, but the issue's always been faith. Think about it. Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham was credited righteousness by his faith, right? And so it's always been faith. And listen, he's always been saving people by faith because if it was faith and works, who gets the glory? We do. But if it's faith alone, Christ alone gets the glory. So he's always been saving us so that we could be a people that are gathered from all over the world to worship Christ, okay? This is what he tells Abraham. He says, hey, your faith has been credited to you as righteousness so that you can be a blessing to all nations so that all nations will worship my name. 
Follow it along. Think about in Exodus. He tells Pharaoh, who's not a believer, he says, I'm gonna raise you up so that my glory will be made known and I will be worshiped throughout the nations. He tells this to David. Think about Solomon in the temple. Listen, Solomon was saved by faith the same exact way we are. And he says, hey, you're gonna build this temple and people from all over the nations are gonna come and worship me and they're gonna be saved by grace through faith, just like Ephesians 2 says. And we see that this has been the gospel the whole time, right? This is not a new thing. People have always been saved by faith. People will be saved by faith. And we distort it and feed something that's not gonna satisfy people if we change it, amen? And so what I wanna do is I wanna run through four things. If you're a visual person, I hope this helps because I I try to be that way because I know some of you learn that way. But if I could summarize the gospel in an easy way, this would be it if you wanna throw that first slide up. Faith equals Christ. Okay, so let me unpack this one first. Faith equals salvation, and on the other side of that is Christ. So see the equal sign is salvation. So faith gets us to Christ, okay? Not faith plus, not faith in works, equals, gets us salvation, and our prize on the other side of the gospel is not Christ and some type of blessing, okay? The prize in the gospel when you get saved is not Christ and something else. Listen, people all over the world get led to Christ and are doomed to failure because they are promised something will satisfy them, like Christ plus a breakthrough, or Christ plus a better job, or Christ plus money, or Christ plus the American dream, and we promise things with Christ as if Christ is not enough to satisfy us. And we all know that Christ is the only thing that will satisfy us. So that's the gospel, okay? Faith alone is salvation, is his equal sign, and Christ on the other side of the equation, if you're a math person, is the answer, is the prize. Now, this is where we get it wrong. Let's go to the next one. If you're a person that likes to write down, this is the gospel that's being taught here by the Pharisees, okay? What they're saying is, Faith plus blank equals salvation and you get Christ, okay? So they're okay with the idea that Christ can satisfy. They're not gonna say that you need to do anything else besides that. All that they're saying is faith plus blank, then you will get saved, okay? Now, this is easy for us to usually understand, but what happens is, is we, this is where the external can get so diluted, is we think usually that the external is gonna be what saves us, but in reality, it's an internal change in our heart that does this, okay? It's not faith plus blank, it's only faith alone, Go to the next one. This is the other one that gets distorted, okay? This is probably where I could preach five sermons on this idea alone, but this is the other idea that the gospel gets, okay? It's supposed to be faith equals Christ plus blank. And what happens here is, is it's like we don't understand that the gospel is enough to satisfy us, okay? Think about this with me. Think about John 6, okay? This is a, a, when he's talking about Moses with the man and the bread coming down, but Jesus kind of refers to the same thing in John chapter 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. Okay, listen, what he's referring to is he's saying, hey, none of us in here can sustain and go on living without food. And what he's saying is spiritually, you don't need anything else. I'm like the bread of life. I can satisfy you alone. But what happens is we naturally, for some reason, we don't trust the gospel to be enough, right? I'm just as guilty as this. Let me just be vulnerable and honest with you. But I'll be sharing the gospel with people and it's natural, y'all, for us to say things like, hey, 
You know, uh, Jesus died for you on the cross, however you get to that point, you lead in that spiritual conversation, and then you want to start unpacking it, and you're like, hey, yeah, but if you come to Christ, then this will start getting better. Or if you come to Christ, this might happen. Or you start trying to add. And what it does is, is it naturally introduces people to a Christ that we don't even realize, but we're teaching them that Christ may not complete satisfy. And like I said earlier, what else that leads to is now people expecting more than Christ to satisfy, okay? Many of you may have heard this and it's probably in the circles of what would be the prosperity type deal, right? Like come to Christ, get Christ plus blank and it's all gonna be awesome. But this leaves us empty over and over and over again, okay? Think about this with me. Not only does it think like the bread of life, but this is how I often think about this is uh, most of us in this culture, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, but you're kind of taught this idea. But none of us in here are just easily satisfied with Christ. It's something we have to fight all the time, okay? So think about little babies, if, if you would. I don't know about y'all, my two-year-old is not satisfied with Christ. If I'm like, hey, bro, be satisfied with Christ. He still wants his toy, his milk, you know what I mean? It's like he needs something else. So it's like, I would probably say the thing that deeply satisfies my son right now is when we give him milk before bed. It's pretty great, you know what I mean? If he would stay like that, it'd be awesome. But then what happens is he gets a little older and it becomes like middle school and all you want is popularity. If I can just be popular, get X number of followers, um, I'll, I'll be great. And that'll deeply satisfy my heart. Now, hold on, we're gonna get to us adults in a minute, but that's how we think, okay? We think we outgrow this, but as adults, we often don't. Then we get to high school slash college, and maybe it's partying, it's still kind of popularity. Maybe it's just having uh, lots of girls or guys, and, and that's the attention you're feeding, and if you could just have that, then you'd be awesome. But then you realize, hold on, I kinda got that, and you get this little bit of taste of what it would be like to have a little money. Right? And then we make our whole life trajectory off of what it would be like to have money because listen, we're Christians, but Christ plus a little bit of money would be what would satisfy us. And so then we go to school based on money. We move based on job and money. We make all of our life decisions are become central around what would satisfy me more. Now, listen, I'm not saying none of that is bad. If you get a raise at work, steward it for God and praise him for it, okay? It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the, 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 the things that require the most attention, the things that should be driving our life should be Christ, our contentment in Christ, and what we can do to make the biggest difference for Christ, and Christ needs to be what we work around. So then what happens? We get a little money. Well, you don't just want it to save up in your bank account, okay? You need a house with that money, or you need a car with that money. And so you start buying things, and listen, we're all in the midst of it. If I could just have X more amount of dollars, I could have this house, and that then will deeply satisfy me. But then you get that house, and for some reason, it's weird, that house don't satisfy you either. You know what I mean? Then it's the next one. And you're like, all right, Dustin, I, I get your point now. But then what do we do? We're about 20 years in and we're like, well, now I'm getting old and I don't wanna work the rest of my life. You know what I mean? So retirement, that'll do. You know what I mean? If I can just get to a place where I have $1 million in retirement, I'll be able to retire comfortably. I can travel still. I can still go see my grandkids. You know, whatever the mindset is, if I can just get to this point, then it'll do it. 
And so we do this our whole lives. And what C.S. Lewis says is like, hey, we always want the next thing. And C.S. Lewis says, this is what Jesus is trying to get us to realize is we're settling for mud pies every time we think the next thing's gonna do it. When if we would just walk a little bit further, think a little bit deeper, shall I say, inspect our own hearts a little more, we could find something that would deeply satisfy us and we wouldn't need Christ plus blank we would be okay with Christ alone, amen? And then on top of that, the last thing I'd like to say about this one is it gives you a worldview that can't be shaken, right? Because think about this. Um, it's, it's really sad, but if we feed this gospel to people, what happens is, is they naturally start thinking, okay, I got saved, now this should happen. Listen, we're not promised that as believers, we're promised that Christ alone will satisfy. And then check this out. If you don't need the plus blank, you go through the worst suffering in your life, guess what? Your prize didn't go anywhere. You get fired from your job. If you needed Christ plus money and you get fired from your job, boom. Why, why did I believe in this gospel? Why did I come to Christ? You know what I mean? Um, the, the next thing, if, if, if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That promise that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you becomes a lot more meaningful because that's all you're wanting in the first place. You know what I mean? You're not needing Christ plus. You got Christ with you. So you keep walking with him and no matter what happens in the external, the internal doesn't change, right? Think about Paul. Best example. Paul in Philippians 1, what does he say? Hey, you want to kill me? I'm in chains. He's writing, from, to, writing in prison in Rome to the Philippians. And he says, hey, if they want to let me live, to live is Christ. He says, and I'm going to keep on living in fruitful labor, meaning I'm going to keep living for Christ. And then you know what the rest of that is? To die is gain. Kill me. My prize is Christ. Oh, well, I didn't get that extra raise in my worldly life. I'm getting what I've been living for anyways. Y'all following me here? This gives us a foundation that can't be shaken. And that's why the gospel we're feeding is so important because if we feed a gospel that begs for something more than Jesus, then we're feeding a gospel that won't ever satisfy, right? And so we've got to come to a place where that's what we're feeding. The next one is this. Maybe you've seen this one on TV, but this is kind of what it's like. Hey, gotta have faith in Jesus plus give a little money. Then you'll get saved and you'll get the breakthrough and extra money. Now, this is like wrong on both sides. You know what I mean? This is like, hey, no, no. But we, we can get it wrong on either side, but we can get it wrong a lot on both. The, the thing that it makes me think about most here, and this breaks my heart more than anything, y'all, because people that are fed a false gospel are doomed to be left unsatisfied and trying to change the external. And they're not looking to the internal to be an overflow of joy in their life. Amen. This is what it makes me think of. Early on when I first started ministry, I had a friend and him and his wife were struggling big time with infertility, which is a big deal for people. You know, it, it's a really hard thing. And I remember talking with him and I'm like, man, I'm just trying to remind him of the gospel. Listen, when people are in suffering, the best thing you can do is remind them of Christ because that's what they came to Christ for in the first place. But I'm trying to remind him, man, Christ is your treasure. I don't know why, but God loves you. I don't know why, but... Man, just seek out Christ. That's what's gonna fulfill you. And I'm trying to help him through it. And this is what he tells me. He tells me he had got advice from somebody before that said the reason they, weren't, uh, they were struggling with fertility is because they weren't tithing 
and because of he had a lust addiction. Now, what that does is, is now the guy's saying, you're not getting the Christ plus on this side because your issue's on the other side. You see what I'm saying? It's like, he hasn't cleaned his life. He hasn't really come to Christ yet. And so what they're saying is, is now, if you do this and this, you'll actually get saved and then you'll get Christ and then you'll get what you're asking for in your family. And that's why everything that, listen, everything that happens inside the gospel leads us to how we live, right? We talk about all the time, the gospel's not just a diving board into Christianity, okay? It's not that this is just where, oh, Jesus died for me on the cross, that's, that's it, you know? Give me some Greek, Dustin. Give me, give me what's gonna fulfill me. Listen, you come back to the gospel. It's not just a diving board into Christianity. It's what you swim around in your whole life. If you find people that have graduated from the gospel, you've probably found people that are not very joyful. You know what I mean? You found people that are not very forgiving. Listen, because the gospel is not just the means for salvation. It's the means for how we live and how our relationships around us should go, how we should forgive, how we should love, how we should be generous. It gives us the example for how we live in every part of our life, amen? And so when we get this wrong, we get everything wrong. We've got to understand the gospel we're preaching because it can lead us to a place that isn't good. We can't be saved thinking that we did anything to earn it, the faith plus, and we can't come to Jesus hoping that we will get anything other than Jesus on the other side of the equation, Jesus plus. Faith in Christ is our only requirement and Christ alone is our prize, nothing else. Listen, if we get this wrong, we will see people burdened and not set free. We will see people running away from Christ rather than to him. We will turn the beauty of the gospel into burdens. We will exchange freedom from this world for religious change that will forever hold us down. We will see people looking for hope in things that won't give it. We will see people who merely look happy rather than are overflowing with joy. We will send people to a well that keeps them thirsty rather than their cup being filleth over. We will numb people from turning away from the temporary and living for the eternal. The gospel, y'all, is the one thing we cannot lose because if we lose the gospel, we lose everything. Our hope in the gospel and is sustained by the gospel. The world's hope is in the gospel and the hope the world is looking for is in the gospel. We have the greatest news the world has ever heard that even while we were sinners, a holy and just God did not punish us. He punished his son on the cross. We received the righteousness that Jesus had and he took the punishment that we deserve. That, my friends, is a gospel worth believing in, a gospel worth running back to every single day and a gospel worth making life decisions for. And we can't lose that or we lose everything, amen? And so listen, that's the theological ideas behind it, why we can't lose it, how it becomes practical. But now we have to talk about it with us personally. So that's the second question is, what does this mean for us, okay? Like believers in here, how does this affect us in our lives? And I wanna read verse 10 because it's kind of when Peter gets uh, practical with them. He's like, hey, circumcision's out, okay? Listen, to, for us, it's not circumcision, but we don't need to become blinded because it will be, keep, be becoming religious, okay? Same deal, same issue, same root issue with the Pharisees, but Paul lets it get personal to us in verse 10. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
Okay, he's talking about the law. Okay, I don't want to get too much into this, but what's happened is, is in the Old Testament, they were expected to follow the law perfectly, okay? But nobody knew they could follow the law perfectly. So what was God's purpose in the law? God's purpose in the law with them not following it all perfectly was to point them to a savior that could and show them that there was God was gonna send his son because they weren't perfect. The whole purpose of the law is to show us we can't do it and to point us to the one who did do it, amen? And so it starts building off that. He says, hey, why are we trying to get the Gentiles to follow the law when we as perfect Jews, we can't even follow the law? You know what I mean? He's like, why are you putting that yoke on them that we can't follow? This is what it would be like. It would be like somebody in this church getting saved, one of your friends coming, or you sharing the gospel with them on Thursday at work and then coming to church on Sunday, not having a clue what it means to read their Bible, not having a clue what it means to walk in obedience, not knowing what maturity looks like, and you expecting them in a night just to be a mature believer. That's what we can easily do as a church. That's where it becomes practical for us is rather than getting in the car with them and helping them and showing them and loving them through it, we put expectations on them, we put a yoke on them, and listen, that becomes miserable for them and it's miserable for us. And so as a, as a church, as believers, as believers in the whole world, we have to make sure we're not doing that. So what does he say? Verse 11, put that yoke on them. He says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He's saying it's faith alone that gets them there. It makes me think about Galatians 2, 21. Listen, if you wanna see Paul get frustrated about religious people, read Galatians, okay? The first few verses, he says, I'm astonished. Now listen, I'm not a Greek scholar, but astonished is not a nice word, okay? He's saying, I'm mind blown, you morons. You keep wanting to make this about you and about the law, but this is what he says in verse 21. This is his whole argument. If it's about you, if it's about us becoming religious, is what it says. Here, I'll just read it off there. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's saying this is all Jesus. And then this is his argument. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, if you and I could be perfect church people, perfect people, it's what he says, Christ died for nothing. He says, hey, if we make this about us, it doesn't just become a, a, a little church issue, it becomes a glory issue. What do I mean by that? Think about Romans 3.23 with me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Check this out. It didn't say you, you drank natties when you were 17. You know what I mean? It doesn't say that uh, you, you, you are addicted to porn when you were 16. It doesn't say that you're saying a cuss word every now and then. It's a glory issue, meaning our life, sin is, is itself. Our whole life is meant to bring praise and glory to God. And when we don't perfectly bring glory to God, we have sinned. Listen, we can never change our life direction and change up the external and be okay with that. And listen, we can become very religious and do that, but that's still an issue with the glory part. You know what I mean? Think about this. This is what I think about. Sports, not a bad thing. Love sports. Played them about 20 years of my life. Loved them. If we're honest with that in here, anybody else, an athlete in here, we weren't trying to get good at sports for God. You know what I mean? None of us really in here are like, hey, God, make me good at sports so I can show them Jesus. No. God, make me good at sports so people think I'm athletic and think that I'm cool and I can have attention. 
God, make me good so people will worship me. Be a better way to say it. Here's the deal. We can't lead people to worship us and God. We become then stealing glory. It's a glory issue. It's deeper than the external. It's a glory issue, meaning that we're not trying to lead them to glorify God. We're trying to lead them to glorify us. So make it more practical, maybe for more of the women in here, okay? Check this out. We spend hours editing photos, okay, for likes. Listen, I went the other day to check on my phone. I was going to have to get a new phone. What do we do? I'm about to have to pay $800 for a new cell phone that just has a better camera. Basically, same software, same home button. Well, I swipe instead of pushing. But, I mean, same stuff, really. I mean, it's still the blue text messages, still download apps from that. There's really nothing that different. You know what the guy's like? It's got an awesome camera. I'm like, go through my pictures. Most of them are sent from my wife anyways. You know, I just saved them. I'm not the one taking them, you know? But what it is is we now have created a whole consumer outlet over this so we can post pictures to get followers on Instagram, to get likes on Facebook. And listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not separated from it. I'm just as guilty. But we've got to get to a place where everything we're doing is glorifying to God and we're not getting ourselves in the way. Listen, If people follow Dustin or Michael or a worship leader or anybody else, we have failed the gospel. We've missed it. But we've got to come back and realize that this whole thing is a glory issue and we're trying to put Jesus on the pedestal, not us. Amen? And so that's where it gets practical for us. And listen, this is much harder than it seems. It's very hard. The last idea, I think, if we got personal with it, and I was just thinking about this, is what is it in your life that you forsake the gospel for? What do I mean? What, what gets your attention the most? It's probably easy for that to be the next job, your job search, the next house, your house searching. Uh, your screen time pops up up 7% this week. Been looking at Zillow a whole lot. Know what I mean? Or I don't know what it is. I've been looking at Facebook a whole lot, but there's something that, listen, I'm guilty. My, my attention is not naturally going to Christ and what he's done for me on the cross. Maybe I'm the only one that's like that, but it's not natural for us, okay? We've got to fight it. We've got to ask ourselves, what's pulling our attention away from Christ? Listen, for me, I have several things written down that maybe you fall into, but for me, it's always the next thing. It's like there's never a a contentment issue. This is all throughout the Israelites. God had issues with this. You just want more power, Israelites. So I'm gonna let somebody take you over and show you who's really in control, right? Or um, if if I could just have this, Israelites are thinking, then I'll be good, God. No, we see this early on in humanity when they try to build the Tower of Babel to God. You know what he tells them? He says, hey, just be fruitful and multiply, Enjoy my grace is what he says. Enjoy what's going on. Enjoy my love for you and then extend my glory. This is basically his commands to them. You know what they do? They don't enjoy his grace for saving them. They try to build a tower to him. Sounds a lot like a faith plus issue, right? They're trying to do it themselves. And instead of extending their glory, what do they do? Hey, let me build a tower that people from miles away from can look at us. So instead of extending God's glory, they make it about them and want to extend their glory. Amen? And so that's the same issue that's going on here. Are we looking for the next thing? Money. I kind of already talked about that one. I won't hit you any harder with that hammer, okay? But it's easy. American dream, family, 
Probably an easy one, appearance and popularity. It's easy. Listen, we become so obsessed with how people see us that people almost like a fake version of us. And we can't be loved or known. The only person that really knows us is God because we're like somebody they don't really know. And we're after real community. Listen, I won't go down this too long, but you can't receive true love from anybody, especially tangible love that comes through other believers if they're loving a fake version of you, right? This is why transparency in connect groups is so important. If you only share 90% of what's going on in your life, they, you will convince yourself if they knew the other 10%, they wouldn't love you. So then you can't receive love. And so appearance and popularity can get in the way of the gospel doing a transforming work in our life. Contentment. We've got to get past this. Clean, is it the cleaning up idea or is it the Christ is not enough? We fall into one category. We're either trying to clean up appearance, look good, outside, religious, external, or either we're on the other side and we're searching for something besides Christ that's going to fulfill us. And the age-old saying, right, we have a God-sized hole in our heart that only God's going to do it, and that's when we're going to be the most satisfied is when God is most glorified. Amen? When our life is a glory representation, just everything is about God in our life, that's when we're going to be satisfied, not when we're after it for Dustin, not when you're after it for you. It becomes easy. And so this is the last question, last thing I have, is what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for us? How do, how do we get practical with us living this idea out? How did this change Paul, okay? What's really cool here is that this, right after this, Paul goes on a second missionary journey. Anybody heard of the book of Galatians? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, Romans. On that second missionary journey, Paul hit all those cities. Listen, he wasn't taking Faith Plus with him to plant the gospel in all those cities. He's taking Christ alone, take Christ. That will do the work, okay? So as we go to church, what does it mean? It means we have to be feeding the same gospel that Paul and Peter were making sure that they protected. That's what we gotta feed people. Listen, I wanna read this quickly because I think it really helps us understand. Listen, the culture around us is searching for fulfillment. They're searching. They, some of them are doing the Christ plus thing. Some of them are just doing the plus blank. Right? There's no reference for value for them. They're just trying out different things, trying out different morals, trying out different jobs, trying out different worldviews, and none of them are doing it, and they're not gonna do it. But I was reading an article in New York Times about two months ago, and this is, this is what the, the name of the article was. Obviously, I wasn't reading it for myself. I was just reading it just to be caught up on what's hip or woke or I don't know, whatever the terms are. Y'all, are, y'all know what I mean. But this is what the name of the article was. How do I find meaning meaning and beauty in my life? Sounds like a good question, right? I mean, now we know in the gospel, it's Christ alone. It's not Christ plus, but how do I do that? And this lady is struggling. She's a photographer, editor. Um, She says, and they kind of play on the analogy, but she says that she's lost her touch with images and photos. And so she's kind of lost touch with the world too. I guess she's kind of that naturalist where everything just kind of goes together. Y'all may know what I mean. But she says she's losing touch with friends because her friends are doing big things and she's not. Um, the, The photo industry has taken off, but she's not. And so she's like, how do I find meaning? Do I need to change or try a different lane? What do I need to do? This is what she says. This is the girl talking that's searching. On good days, I can take a yoga class 
and I still feel like life's potential is still just around the corner if I'm just open to it. Sorry, I can't help but read it in like my basic white girl voice. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, tell me it doesn't sound like this. It's just right around the corner. On, on, on bad days, I feel such futility. Like I've squandered my own youth and beauty and all the halls of mirrors. That is our consumeristic society. Like she's like realizing she's kind of fallen into it. <laughs> so the writer writes back, I mind you not a believer. And this is what they say. I don't have a voice for this one, so sorry. You're ready now to make those changes. You can make those changes now, they're saying. This might involve switching to a publication with a better value match, one that you admire and actually read, or using your photo editing skills at a business or nonprofit whose ethos you can get behind, right? He's saying, hey, try doing your job for something that's not just for money. Maybe then you'll find them. They're kind of getting on the right track, but it's really them for them to say, hey, I'm working for a nonprofit. I'm not doing it for money. And in that sense, they're still stealing God's glory, right? It's still about them. Or even teaching an art class at an art school and enjoying the satisfaction of passing on your skills to a sharp-eyed new generation who will in turn challenge you. Saying, hey, go teach somebody else and you can pour into the next generation. That'll fulfill you. you can, can you feel the searching going on? These are not Christians. It might mean taking a class for yourself or attending a lecture series at a museum you love. It certainly suggests visiting those friends you have in fabulous foreign places, as well as seeking out new experiences of your own and forging new and beautiful connections. This is where it gets best. Essentially, reach inside yourself, change your external over and over, and you will find fulfillment. That's essentially what they're saying. And so as believers, listen, I don't think that we have anything the world to, to offer the world until we offer the gospel. Because until we feed them Christ that's gonna satisfy, the world will never be satisfied. And until we help them realize that they're not gonna do it themselves by climbing the ladder to Christ, that Christ came down and came to them, right? Listen, this is what makes Jesus attractive to the outside world, y'all. I, I don't have a ton of time to go into this, but the whole idea of, hey, we just need to love each other better. That's Part of the whole argument and the kind of the liberal idea is like, hey, just love each other better. We have the power through the gospel to love and forgive better than anybody else because our standard is Jesus. When we forsake Jesus, he's still there for us. When we sin against Jesus, he's still there for us. When people in the outside world sin against you, you have the power inside of you, not on your own, but through the spirit that Jesus paid for on the cross. Now we can love people and feed them what they're begging for. Right? Listen, you don't have to go in with the gospel thinking you're like, you've, you've divorced your intellect. No. Listen, loving people, forgiving people, standing on what Christ has done, that's attractive to people. Now, I will say this. If your actions don't match the cross, you're going to be in trouble because you're going to go to share it. And they're going to be like, well, that, don't, that doesn't make much sense. You don't act like this. So if you're having trouble getting it across, that might be something to examine. But the last thing I want to leave us with is the reason Paul's able to do so much damage in Acts 16 in Philippi, in Acts 17 in Thessalonica, where he writes 1 and 2 Thessalonians, in Acts 18 in Corinth, when he goes to the crazies in Corinth, the gospel gets in there too. In 19 in Ephesus, right? You can follow this same gospel. It goes to Rome, 
Rome sends it to Spain. Spain sends that gospel with missionaries to Mexico, actually. And then finally they land in Augusta and this gospel starts getting forth in the United States and it goes on for about 300 years. And then this gospel tackles a group of people in Savannah. You know what I mean? Like it's the same thing. And the gospel hasn't been slowed down yet and it will be only if we distort it, number one, or we're not feeding it to the people that need it. And so we've got to do one or the other. Right? We've got to find our satisfaction in the gospel. And then we've got to, number two, share it with the world that needs it. Amen? Let's pray together and we'll sing. God, we love you. God, thank you for the people here. God, thank you for your word. God, nothing that we can do, God, would help us get to this place. Nothing that we could dress ourselves up to be. God, you did it through the gospel. And so, Lord, let us find our satisfaction there. God, let us swim in it every day. Lord, do a work in us so that you can do a work through us. God, change our hearts first and let it be that our cup is running over Monday through Saturday. Tomorrow at work, Tuesday morning when we get into a fight with our wife, help the gospel be the example to love our wife well. Let the gospel be an example to love our coworker well on Thursday. God, let the gospel do a work in us, uh, God, so that we can do a work through us. And Lord, let everything we do be glorified to you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.